and missions team, I did it again. Uh, I'm always so eager to get up to the time of prayer that I did the time of prayer before the missions video. And uh, I hope this morning that didn't distract uh, from focusing on Mountain Mission School. I love the insert in the bulletin this morning, and I hope you take the time to read a little bit about their history. It'll help you to know uh, how to pray for them and look at the blessings that God provided in the past. Let it, let it guide us uh, toward the future with them. Well, this morning, I want to start by mentioning one of the most endearing accounts to me from the life of Jesus. Four friends, uh, four men have a friend who is paralyzed, and they bring him to the house where Jesus is teaching in a city called Capernaum. And in Mark, the second chapter, it tells us the house is so full uh, that they cannot get him before Jesus. They can't even get in the doorway of the home. And so these four friends get bold. They get courageous. They They get innovative, and they actually dig a hole in the roof to lower him before Jesus. They would do anything to get their friend to him. And what we've been saying as a congregation is, in this next year, what if we just wreck the roof? Uh, What if we do whatever we can, remove whatever barrier, remove whatever exists between uh, our friends and God or the people that we love, our families, our missionaries, uh, to get people to Christ because people need the Lord. And in this series, we're asking you to make uh, commitments as believers this year in three areas that you've seen there in your outline, that is pray, give, and go. And last week, we began with the question, what if we pray like we have never prayed before? And again, starting in November, uh, I'm going to ask you to join me on social media for three to five minutes a day, for 21 days of prayer. And as I thought about this this past week, <clears throat> I thought about making this suggestion to you. Excuse me. <clears throat> if you have a smartphone or you have a watch with an alarm, how about we all set an alarm for five o'clock and we just commit to spend five minutes in prayer at the same time together each day. You see, I, I hope you'll do that because we have a vision as a congregation that we are going to reach the unchurched 1% that live within 20 miles of this church, that we're going to support the ministries and the missionaries that we have. We're going to uplift them in prayer before the Lord of all. And I expect that at 5 p.m. each day, as we pray together as a congregation, things are just going to pop up out of the blue. Uh, Opportunities for us and for our missionaries. So I just want to encourage you again, keep up your praying and look to get involved with that this November. Now today we're going to talk about the second key of of this People Need the Lord initiative. And next week, we're going to talk about the go part, going forth to serve. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations. Invariably, I would guess, some of you in this room, you feel called by God to go. And maybe it's not like my neighbor and friend, Rebecca McConkie, that has felt God's voice call her to go to the streets of Barcelona, Spain, and pray with and minister to the young ladies that are caught in human trafficking and in the sex trade. But maybe some of you will feel the call of God to volunteer for a week of camp at Butler Springs, Maybe to sponsor a young person at Mountain Mission School or at the Christian Children's Home of Ohio. Maybe you'll be called to clean out your closets and and gather your clothes to send to Kosovo so that people can meet Jesus through the simple act 
of, of staying warm. Maybe some of you will want to serve in, in a local compassion initiative by serving at the Pregnancy Resource Center in Clark County. Maybe you'll want to serve on the mission team, and maybe you uh, can get the preacher to wait to pray until after the video next year. Uh, But today I just want to ask you, what will it take for me and for you to give like we have never given before? How can we wreck the roof of being radically generous just to see what God can do? Now, I just want to say at the front end of this message, we've got a few visitors here today, and I want you to know that every week I try to preach to everyone who walks through these doors. No matter what stage, what step of faith you're in in your life, I try to speak to everyone, but I just want to let you know today I'm going to break those rules. And I want to speak to those of you that claim to be followers of Jesus Christ and those that call SCC your church family. I want to talk to you this morning about the subject of generosity. And in this call this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to commit your time and your talent, your treasure, as we've talked about in the past, in a new way in this coming year. And I want you to consider, what would happen if 100% of us who call this place home would engage in life-changing, gospel-driven, radical generosity and faith-living in this next year, what God might do. Now, if, if you are a guest here and you're just checking out uh, faith again today, maybe for the first time you're here, I'm glad you're here, but I want you to know this message, it really isn't for you. But I want to be honest with you and say this. If I were checking out a church, I'd want to know what they taught about this subject. I'd want to know how serious the people I'm worshiping with are about honoring the name of Jesus in their everyday lives. See, the reality is when the subject of generosity comes up, uh, we struggle with this, all of us. And one of the things that I've I've come to know in, in 30 years of ministry is the thing that paralyzes us most when it comes to generosity. It's not greed, like a lot of preachers would say it is. Uh, what I find is that the number one thing is it's fear. We're just afraid, and we, we ask the, the what-if questions. What if the economy takes another big nosedive? What if the stock market that is just bleeding now uh, continues to go south? What if I lose my job? What if there's an unexpected illness, something major that happens in my life? What if my furnace crashes and, and, and my water heater tanks? You see, I'm convinced that most Christians, we want to be generous, but we get paralyzed by those what-if questions that raise this fear in us. And if we're honest, it's not natural for us, is it, to give things away. In fact, what is the favorite word of every English-speaking two-year-old on the planet? Mine. We all know it's mine, not yours. Quickly followed by... No, right? Uh, so, so here's our, how our view of money and God's view of money are so different from each other. Our view is, is that when you give something away, it's gone. It's gone. But God has a very different view of things. And if we can grasp this, for instance, if we can latch onto this, it'll change everything about how we live our lives. Now, don't miss this. When God looks at money, 
In other words, when God looks at our bank account, when he looks at our investment portfolio or our retirement accounts, he doesn't look at it as money to be lost. Here's what sets him apart from what we think. God sees it all as seeds to plant. Now, we've learned enough in this life to know that God has entrusted different levels of seeds to different people. And we're not the owners of it. We're just the managers of it. And God has given you some seed to eat. He's given you some some seed to pay the bills. God's given you some seed to kind of hold for a rainy day or, or if things do happen as an emergency. But here's where God's view of economics is so very different from our view of the economy. He doesn't see money as something to be lost. He sees it as seeds that when planted will bring a return. Our text for today comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And I want you to turn there in scripture with me. 2 Corinthians 9. If you ever want to know what God has to say about offerings and giving, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are great passages of teaching. And these are written by the Apostle Paul. Now, if you know anything about Paul, you know that Paul hated Christianity, at least at the start. Paul persecuted Christians, putting them to death until he met Jesus. And Jesus transformed his life. And in the course of following Christ, he realized something, an important principle that he shares with us in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. He writes this. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, most of us here today, we we live in Clark County. Now, according to the, the Dayton Daily News, Clark County has become the number one county in Ohio for farms preserved. We have over, over 175,000 acres of farms. One agribusiness census back in 2012 put crop sales at $116,765,000. We know seed. We know crops. Why is the city here? Why is Springfield here? Why is this Clark County here? It's because... If you go back in time, you'll find the Pekaway and Kaspoko divisions of the Shawnee Indians planting seeds on these grounds and raising crops and planting seeds for fruit trees. You'll find settlers coming and planting those seeds. And if they hadn't done that, well, we might be known as Springfield. We might not be known as Clark County. We might be named after the three rivers and creeks that come into this area, which is Buck Creek and Mad River and Beaver Creek. You might actually be attending the Mad Buck Beaver Church of Christ in Ohio, okay? But everybody would know our name, wouldn't they? Anyway, um, if those first farmers had gathered that seed and said, you know what, I'm just going to harvest it all. I'm going to take it all in. I'm going to gather the profits, and I'm going to look at today instead of tomorrow. If they said, I'm going to take this harvest and I'm going to save it all for myself and I'm going to sow sparingly, we might not be here. But they said, we're going to sow generously and we're going to grow large crops for the future because, see, when we realize tomorrow matters, it changes how we live today. Did you catch that? When we know that tomorrow counts in God's economy, it matters how we live today. And we have to plant seeds in order to get a return. So here's an important principle. 
If you're taking notes today, I want, I want to invite you to write this in your bulletin. Maybe you could memorize this, but this is so true. The seed you keep is all you have. The seed you sow, God multiplies. The seed you keep is all you have, but the seed you sow, God multiplies. And I think we understand that. We, we apply it to all the other areas of our life. For instance, when it comes to friendship, if we sow a thimble full of seed, we might end up with friendships that are closer to being acquaintances where we really don't know each other and people aren't there for us. We just know them. But if we sow a bucket full of seed into our friendship, well, then you might end up with a friend like the book of Proverbs talks about that sticks closer than a brother. The seed we sow impacts our marriages. If you sow a little bit of seed into a marriage, you might begin to think, you know, I'm not happy in this relationship. I'm not finding happiness in my marriage. And it may be you're not planting enough seed. If we planted as much seeds in our marriage as we did before we got married, then we'd see a lot more growth and happiness, wouldn't we? And we know that's true of friendship. We know that's true of marriage. So why wouldn't we trust God? in the area of our finances or economics when God says, if you sow generously, well, you're going to reap generously. I think it's because we've never learned to see our resources as seed. And the seed you keep, that's all you have. But the seed you sow, God multiplies. Now, Paul is indicating in this passage, with whatever we're blessed with, Whatever we receive from God, our practice should be to say, I will generously give my first and my best seed to God so that he can bless the rest. And that, that, that leads me to raise the question of this day. And the question is very simply this, what's your plan for generosity? You know, Jesus spoke more about money in the New Testament than he did about heaven. For many of us, generosity, it just happens as a result of emotions. We don't have a plan. In fact, a lot of people I meet, they manage their whole life by emotions. It's why you can go to Walmart to buy bananas and come out with an 80-inch screen TV, right? I mean, it wasn't part of the plan, but it was just, it was emotions. Well, look at what Paul says in the next verse. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, he says this, each of you should give what you have, and notice this phrase, decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. When he says what you've decided in your heart to give, there's a decision that's being made, an intentional plan. It's not just an emotion. One of the things, and if I could be honest with you this morning, that I, that I genuinely hate about my profession is that there are those that do what I do that will use emotion, that will use pressure and gimmicks and clever tactics to get people to respond and to give. And don't get me started on television evangelists. When I hear about seniors that are living on a fixed income that are built out of thousands of dollars, it makes my stomach sick. In fact, it's never easy Even though it's part of the gospel and part of Jesus' message, it's never easy to talk about giving in a church. But part of what makes it easier is we don't pressure anybody here at SCC. As a church, 
Our goal is simply to model generosity to one another. When there's a need, Roger Maxson simply comes up here, he tells you what the need is, and he goes back to the sound booth. There's no emotional appeal. There's no guilt that's given. That's why I can trust a man like him with my very last penny. That's why we have a finance team that correctly manages what we have as as a church. It's why we as a church can can invest anywhere from 10% to 13% in our history into the ministries that take place in this broken world. We just want to protect and be models of good stewardship and model generosity to everyone. And so Paul says, each of you, you should give not based on emotion, not because you're manipulated by a preacher or anyone, but you give as you've decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly. In other words, don't be a Scrooge about it. Or under compulsion. Don't let anybody pressure you into something you're not ready to do. Because God loves a cheerful giver. And friends, that's where you should end up. At some point along the way, there should be a sense of joy and delight in your life about this. So what's your generosity plan? God expects every one of us to look at our bucket of seed. And God wants us to respond, you know, here's the bucket, God, that you have blessed me with on this earth. Now help me develop a plan that would honor you. And I want to give you three principles very quickly this morning that Cheryl and I have used through the years to develop our our plan of giving through our marriage. The first principle is what we would call priority generosity. Priority generosity. The text in verse 7 said you should give. That's a given. It should be a priority in your life. It ought to come first. Now, I don't know about you, but when something is important in my life, I automate it. In other words, when I get paid, one of the first things that happens is there's an electronic draft that takes out our insurance, that takes out money for our mortgage, that takes out you know, our utility money and things like that. Some of you have a 401k, a retirement plan, and automatically it takes it out. And, and that's good for me because before I ever get my greedy little hands on it or spend it on something else that I'm tempted to spend it on, it's already automatically sent to cover what, what those expenses are. And I think about that and I wonder, you know, why? Why don't we do the same thing with our giving? You know, I get paid t- twice a month or wh- whatever you get paid. Why automatically do we not give? It's the first thing that goes out if it's a priority in our life. It's something that we, we automate. And God wants that priority in our life. Proverbs 3.9 commands us, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And so the first principle I would say is priority generosity. The second principle that Cheryl and I have used is called percentage generosity. I came across some statistics this past week I wanted to share with you. Do you know the average income of church members worldwide, now this is Catholic, Christian, Protestant, you know, the, the whole bag of all the churches is $42 trillion. In evangelical churches, of which we're a part, it's, it's $7 trillion. So less, but hey, we're still talking $7 trillion, right? Uh, out of that, given to any Christian cause, churches, parachurch organizations, out of $7 trillion, $700 billion. But we spend 
1% on reaching the unchurched through that. 1%. We spend more money as Americans on the costumes that we buy our pets for Halloween than we spend on missions. The church has roughly 3,000 times the financial resources and 9,000 times the manpower needed to fulfill the Great Commission. In other words, if we took Jesus' word seriously, it would be done. In every evangelical, if we gave 10% of our income to missions, not only could we support fully the missions we already have so they didn't have to go from place to place to place looking for somebody to help them survive, we could support 2 million new missionaries to fulfill the Great Commission. And here's the principle. It grows right out of the Old Testament. In Leviticus 27.30, it says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, it belongs to the Lord. It is holy. And in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 16.2, the Apostle Paul said, On the first day of every week, Each of you should set aside, again, it should be a priority, a sum of money in keeping with your income. Now that's important to hold on to that. Saving it up, he said, so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. It's a percentage in keeping with your income. It's not somebody else's table that they can provide you with. It's not some percentage that a preacher says, you've got to do this. You know, we don't all give equally but we can sacrifice equally in keeping with our income. And I want to encourage every one of you to do this if you haven't. I want to encourage you to become a percentage giver. You sit down, you and the Lord. If you're married, you and your wife sit down. If you've got kids, sit down and have a family member and decide this is what we're going to do together. We're going to set this portion aside. And, And understand, you don't do it emotionally, or spontaneously, though there may be moments when, when God urges you to do that. That's how we came to sponsor the kids that we sponsor a, as a family. Uh, emotionally giving, it's not always wrong. I read the story this week of a missionary who was teaching the leaders of a church about giving the missions, and a deacon raised his hand and said, excuse me, are you telling me that we've been doing missions giving wrong all these years, and that emotional giving is wrong? And this missionary thought for a moment and said, no. There's nothing wrong with emotional giving to missions. He said, emotional giving's not bad. In fact, if you get emotional and give me $10,000, we'll both be emotional. <laughs> but generally, we, do, we don't do it irregularly. We do it with intentionality. And we do it with forethought. Now, the Bible teaches that percentage as a starting place. It's given in the Old Testament, even before the law was given. You see Abraham going home after a battle of recapturing Lot and some of the goods of the land. And this king of Salem, Melchizedek, the city that would become Jerusalem, comes out to meet him. And just out of a heart of generosity, Abraham gives him a tenth of the spoils. It was affirmed through the law. And Jesus spoke in Matthew 23 about the tithe, one-tenth or ten percent. Now, whenever that subject comes up, I find people have generally a lot of questions, but three of the most uh, common questions I get are these, and then we'll move on to the last type of generosity. The first question I hear a lot is, do I tithe on the net or the gross, right? 
I mean, everybody wants to know, do I tithe on the net or the gross? And my common response to that is, do you want a net blessing from God or do you want a gross blessing from God? Okay, Uh, Because the principle in 2 Corinthians 9 is pretty clear to me. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. Sow generously, reap generously. Let alone, you know, those great passages like Malachi, the third chapter, where God says, Bring the whole tithe into my storehouse, declares the Lord, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Only time in Scripture the Lord says, test me. And see if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there won't be enough room to store it. Another question I often hear is, well, what if my spouse is against it? Should I still tithe? And some of you have dealt with that. And you know how tough this can be relationally. And and what I would encourage you to do is that you sit down. You know, God never meant this subject to to come as a wedge between you and and your spouse in a relationship. But I would encourage you to sit down and and maybe discuss this and say, what if we just tried this for a few months? And if God doesn't show up, if God doesn't bless the gift that we've given him and, and what remains, then I'll shut up about it. That's a step that I think, I'm confident you can trust God in. There's another question I get frequently asked, and that is, as in obedience, you know, if I don't tithe, will I go to hell? And the answer is, no. But somebody might. I mean, this is one of the reasons generosity is a priority for us around here. We understand what the stakes are in ministry. We understand what the stakes are with the missions that we support. Heaven and hell do hang in the balance for people, and we believe that the stakes could not be higher. And so there's a third principle that Cheryl and I have used, and uh, this grows right out of the passage for today, and that is progressive generosity. You see, if we really do understand from God's perspective that everything we have belongs to him, which is exactly what he says in passage after passage. One of them is, is Job 41.11, where he says, everything under heaven belongs to me. Everything we have is seed to be planted. Whatever you own within your life, even the relationships you have are seeds to be sown. And the more you sow, the more we will reap. And I think it's completely reasonable to assume that the longer we serve Christ, the longer we are disciples of him, the more we see how God blesses us and the more we honor him, he'll increase that percentage with time and generosity. I believe it when Jesus said in Luke 16.10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. I believe it. The seed you have or you keep is all you have. The seed you sow, God multiplies. Now, my own giving is something I've never talked about with you guys as a church. And I, I believe in, in a lot of ways the right hand shouldn't know what the left hand is doing when it comes to giving. But I would, I would let you know that God has blessed Cheryl and I emotionally, relationally, and, and financially through the years. And Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 9, they stem from from a healthy relationship with the church. And wouldn't it be great if what he said about the church that kind of sparked this, this thought of his could be said of us 
It's 2 Corinthians 8.1. It says, now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. These are the churches that started this whole conversation. He said, in the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty. From the worldly standard, they had very little to give, but it welled up in rich generosity. And I testify they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. I'm sure that Cheryl and I would tell you that we believe in the soul of our soul and in the core of our being that God is good. And we believe, 2 Corinthians 9, 11, that you'll be enriched in every way, not for yourself, but you will be enriched so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You know, if you try this in your life, you will learn this, this unbelievable cycle that you cannot outgive God. I believe that. None of us can outgive God. And I think God blesses us so that we can be a blessing. And this chapter, by the way, it closes with the only motivation that a follower of Jesus ever ought need to be generous. 2 Corinthians 9.15, Paul says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And of course, who's he describing? Jesus. When you realize what Jesus has done for you, when you realize now how he is transforming you and the place that he's preparing for you someday, when you realize, friends, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would never perish, but have eternal life. When you realize every good and perfect gift comes from him, every time you're generous, it's like you're sitting down with a thank you card and you're writing it out to God, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your indescribable gift. Why is this church here? Why do we have a missions emphasis almost every October and support the individuals and the groups that we do? Why do we have a track record of 23 years of changed hearts and changed lives? It's because 23 years ago, a group of people were faithful and they got together and they just started sowing seeds in a barn down the road. And for 23 years, this church has been sowing seeds week in and week out. We've been sowing seeds in the hearts of the next generation, sowing seeds in the hearts of marriages and families, sowing seeds around the globe and in some of the neediest corners of the globe and the seed we've learned that you keep is all you have but the seed you sow God multiplies I want to close today by by telling you one of my favorite illustrations of how this happens now you already know because I've mentioned him twice in the last month but Tony Campolo has some of my favorite messages and stories great storyteller of a guy sociologist uh, an author and more But he tells about one time he was going home on a plane and he got off the plane only to discover as his assistant met him at the gate that he was scheduled to speak to a group of women at a World Day of Prayer event that he had completely forgotten about. 
And he rushed over to the meeting held at a large church, and he arrived exhausted. He had no idea what he was going to say to the women at this conference. And before calling him up to speak to them, the leader of the conference produced a letter from a missionary in Venezuela. Now, friends, I want you to catch what happens here. Campolo said she read the letter from this missionary who had a hospital. And she desperately needed $5,000 to to add an extension to the hospital because they couldn't handle the number of people who were coming to be treated. She finished reading the letter, and then she turned to me and she said, Reverend, would you please lead us in prayer that the Lord would provide for our sister in Venezuela? And Tony Campolo stood up and he said, No. No, I will not. And the leader of this women's conference was taken aback by that. He said, I'll tell you what I will do. And he reached into his pocket. He said, this was a great time for me to do this because all I had was $2.25. So he said he took out the $2.25 and he laid it on the pulpit. He said, that's all the money that I'm carrying today. Madam Chairman, I want you to put all the cash you have on your person up here as well. He said there were about a 1,000 women in attendance at this conference, and he said, I want you to be ready because I'm going to ask each of you to do the same. No checks, you know, no credit card, none of that stuff, just what you have on your person. I want you to bring it up and put it here. He said the leader of the conference took out $110 of unadulterated cash. He said, why can't my wife carry $110 like that? You know, but he said, we're on our way. We've got $112 now and 25 cents. And he pointed to the first lady in the row. He said, now it's your turn. And she hesitated. He goes, no, I'm serious. I want you to come. And so she came and the next lady and the next lady and the next. And they, they just piled up quarters and pennies and change and dollars. And when they were done, they counted up the cash. And they had over $7,000 instead of the five that was being required. And he said, I know even then. We didn't get everything because I could see all these women give me dirty looks as they walked past the pulpit. But he stood for a moment and he began to cry. And he said, the sheer audacity of us to think about praying to God for $5,000 when he had already provided $7,000. The sheer audacity. Friends, God is good. And God has already done great things for you and me through his generosity. What will he do through ours? Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where is your treasure today? Would you stay with me this morning? And let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I just want to come before you as the owner of all things, including my heart. Father, as Adam read this morning, we, we all come offering ourselves as living sacrifices to you. And so often, we hold back. The reality is you have provided more than any of us are aware of or sometimes they are even willing to admit. And Father, we pray audacious prayers when 
we fail to see how rich you've already been towards us. Father, there's someone here this morning perhaps that is spiritually poor because they never accepted the free gift that came through your son. Although it cost him his blood, his life. He said, if you believe in me, all who call on my name will be saved. If we would choose to follow him, if we would choose to just allow you to humble our hearts and to wash away our sins, if we would choose to recognize you have created us and formed us wonderfully. And we belong to you. And Lord, the path of generosity can begin in our lives of just giving to you everything. In your church from time to time, those people would come and, and they would sell their, their property, their houses, and just lay the money at the apostles' feet and, and nobody had a need because they would distribute it. But Lord, there are people in this room that are going to go hungry later today. There are people in this community that will sleep under the bridges just trying to stay warm under papers and leaves. There are people in this world that have never heard your name, that have never received one of the Gospels, and we have multiple Bibles on our shelves at home. Or perhaps one Bible that we fail to open more. Father, forgive us for treating your gifts with contempt. Help us to be grateful. Help us to be thankful. And Father, in that, help us to be roof wreckers. Help us to be generous and remove the obstacles, whatever they may be, between you and us and between somebody in this world and your salvation. Use us, Father. And I pray this as you call each of us to pray, to give, to go in your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.